This is episode number 100, Demystifying Chinese Medicine and Acupuncture with Dr. Paula Woodward. Welcome to the Sonia Looney Show. This is a podcast about how to live a high-performance life, spanning the categories of mindset, plant-based nutrition, and inspiring stories to help you be better every day. And that really is harmonizing body and mind with Chinese medicine. That's why we take into account so much the emotions a person's experience and how that's showing up physically within the body. I'm your host, Sonia Looney, and this is my show. I'm a professional athlete, entrepreneur, and personal development enthusiast, and I'm so happy that you're here. Thank you so much for sharing this intimate time together and for listening to my show. I'm pretty excited about today's guest, and it was one of those rare times where I could record a podcast in person, which makes it extra special. Dr. Paul Woodward is a doctor of traditional Chinese medicine, and in addition to her impactful life experiences, she has also spent time in China with rotations in many medical departments, has a lot of educational experience in psychology, and also shares a passion for personal development. I first found Paula when my friend who was suffering from a hard to treat skin condition started drinking some Chinese herbs in the form of a tea and was seemingly cured. Meanwhile, another friend of mine was struggling with postpartum depression and was using acupuncture to help her symptoms. Both friends had experienced amazing life improvements and had been seeing the same Chinese medicine doctor, Dr. Paula. I'm generally a curious person and love trying new ways to take care of myself and learn about my body. So I went to see Dr. Paula with no symptoms in particular, but just out of curiosity to see what she could do. What I did notice after my first treatment was that I was able to fall asleep on the table during the day because I was so relaxed and daytime sleeping basically never happens for me unless I'm sick or majorly jet lagged. And I also noticed that I felt more calm for days and up to weeks post treatment. I think that it was treating my nervous system and I'm generally a pretty wound up person, not stressed out, but just, I have a lot of energy and a lot of drive. And I found that the acupuncture really helped me feel less anxious and more relaxed. So after that, I got more curious about acupuncture and I wanted to try it for some of my more frustrating issues, like major decreases in race performance from jet lag. I tried acupuncture for jet lag last year and I had no symptoms of jet lag after doing the acupuncture. And at first I thought it was a fluke, but I tried it again and again, and it's worked every single time. For example, I came back from a hundred K mountain bike race in Japan and two days later did another race and had no jet lag symptoms and felt amazing. And I also used it whenever I went to Poland last year, I showed up to the race three days before the start, a nine hour time change and had no symptoms of jet lag. And in the past with jet lag, I'll go overseas and I can't get my heart rate up. Like Normally I'm racing at 175 heart rate or so, and I would be at 150 heart rate feeling terrible because my nervous system just wouldn't let that happen. So acupuncture for jet lag has been really awesome for me. And fortunately I don't have any major medical issues that I'm dealing with, but if I do have something come up, I'm definitely going to take acupuncture into consideration. Acupuncture was a little hard for me to get behind at first because my brain was so ingrained in Western medicine and Western science, and I was skeptical. But I did my best to keep an open mind, and lo and behold, Dr. Paula is now part of my village that keeps me going. In this episode, we talk about what an acupuncturist actually does, 
the many different heart pulses in Chinese medicine, Chinese medicine and acupuncture fundamentals, because man, there's so much involved there. In fact, I was going to acupuncture for a year before I even felt comfortable recording a podcast about acupuncture and Chinese medicine, because I feel like there's just so much to learn. And I feel like we barely scraped the surface. We talked about how Chinese medicine and Western medicine differ, the concepts of yin and yang, and about acupuncture points and meridians. This is a really great episode. If you're a skeptic, it's a really great episode. If you're open-minded, basically, you're going to learn a lot. And Dr. Paula is really fun to listen to and just an all-around great person. She has a really great quote on her website that I love. It says, life is as fascinating as it is magical. What has continued to reveal itself through 10 years of practice is that we are in a constant relationship with nature. How we move through our life is a response to our past experiences and it dictates our future. We are often unaware of what is creating our experience. And if we are aware, we don't always know how to shift our current circumstance to create a new future. Before we get going, I just have a couple of announcements. I first want to thank our podcast sponsor, Kuat Racks. It is that time of year where we are outside, our outdoor playgrounds are open, and all of the activities are about to ensue. And a really cool thing that Kuat has done to expand their line is now they have room for a bunch of different types of outdoor equipment like skis, like kayaks, and of course, our bikes. And I've been using the Sherpa hitch-mounted rack, and I love it because it's really lightweight, it's really easy to use and it has locks built in. So I'm never worried about my bike falling off. I'm never worried that something's gonna go wrong with this rack. And I'm really thankful that I have access to it. You guys should check out some of their awesome equipment. And they also make roof racks. You can get it at kuatracks.com and that's K-U-A-T racks.com. I'm also running a sock sale on my Moxie and Grit website. Moxie and Grit is my apparel brand that I started about a year ago. It started with socks. Now we have things like hats and shirts and mugs, and eventually we're going to have cycling kits. But for now, I'm trying to clear out some of my older designs to make way for a bunch of the new designs that I've been working on. So you can go to moxyandgrit.com, M-O-X-Y-G-R-I-T.com. And there are socks up to 53% off on there. So I think you'll really enjoy it. And thanks so much for your support. Speaking of support, if you're enjoying the show, I'd really appreciate it if you could share the show with your friends, maybe take a screenshot and post it on social media. I always make a point to reshare it in my stories if you guys tag me and the episodes that you're enjoying. And I also want to say thanks to those of you who are supporting my work on Patreon. Patreon's a great crowdfunding social media site where I can post things that are exclusive only to people who are supporting the show there. I'm trying to, in advance, let you know who the guests are so that you can ask the guests questions yourselves. I did a lot of recordings in advance before the spring started, but I have a lot of new guests I'm excited to get on the show for the summer, and I would love to have you guys put your input there for some of the questions. So go to patreon.com slash the Sonia Looney show. Any support you can toss at the show is amazing, and we want to give back to you in every way that we can. So thank you for that. All right, let's get into the show with Dr. Paula Woodward. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Paula. Hi, thanks for having me. It's so fun to see you out of the clinic. And I do see you out walking your dog sometimes too. Yeah, I know. It's great to be here and finally connect. Yeah. yeah, I remember the first time I came to see you, I was just really curious about acupuncture because I had heard about it, but I didn't really know what it was. And it seemed like this veil was lifted because you started explaining things to me. And the first thing you did was 
you actually started asking me a lot of like questions about my life and like all the different things. So like what happens whenever somebody goes to somebody who does acupuncture? Yeah, well, we all practice a little bit differently. My style, I really like to get to know the person on a very, very deep level the first time I meet them. It gives me a really good snapshot, if you will, of what the person's bringing to the table in terms of their health history, their physiology, sort of how they are working in their everyday life and this current time and what brought them in to see me. So I go a lot into family history, siblings, health history, but also even just what's your connection to your family? Where did you grow up? All of those things in terms of how we grow up and culture, they matter in medicine, in my opinion, anyways, and in my experience. So, you know, I like to get into all of that stuff because who we are and what our experiences are really have given rise to how we're showing up again, you know, in terms of how balanced we're feeling, whether something's showing up in our digestive or our hormones and all of that matters. So I do a quite a lengthy intake. And then I like to explain, of course, a little bit about how it works, because I think it's important for the patient to also have an idea of what we're going to be doing in terms of the acupuncture points and how the energy flows throughout the body so that they can be on board and it can be a a co-creation, really. And yeah, then we do the pulse and we do the tongue and I look at their skin and sort of how they're moving, palpate their abdomen oftentimes. And then we go from there. That gives me a really good idea as to what's going on with the person. And I like to explain it as much as I possibly can in relatable terms. And then, yeah, hop on the table and maybe make a tea, whatever has to happen. So (laughs) lifestyle recommendations too. Yeah. So I was really curious and interested in the pulse because I never heard that there was more than one type of pulse. And the first Mm. time um, I actually had seen a different person for acupuncture and the first time it was a little bit weird because the guy was like, you have a lung chi deficiency. And I said, how, how could he tell that just by feeling yeah. my pulse? Like, what is this? Yeah. And then you actually gave me the same exact thing. So what, are, like, what are you feeling and how many pulses are there? And how, like, how can you tell? Oh, pulse is one of those elusive, but very important diagnostic tools. And you can follow many different lineages with the pulse. But basically what we're feeling for is, uh, for me, I feel what's the first impression that I get? What's the first impression of the rate? Is there a regular wave that's occurring? Or does it sort of feel like the wave is just pushing itself up? What's the feeling of the vessel? Does the vessel feel really lax? Does it feel really tight? Does it feel full? Does it feel really small? And then to that, we also have different levels that we can feel for. So that sort of top superficial level will be how the energy is operating on the superficial layer of the body. So that's more of like the chi layer, if you will. So that's that light kind of energy. And then the deeper we go, the middle layer would be the blood and then the deeper layer still. So that's almost pushing into the bone along the pulse. That would be more of the organs. And then there's, it's, it's such a nuanced skill that different people can feel for different things. And of course, the longer you've been feeling pulses, the better you're going to be at it. So it's something that I think scares a lot of new practitioners away because, you know, you feel a vessel and you've never felt a vessel before. You don't even know what the heck to look for, right? So you really have to take some time and be diligent with it. But once you become more proficient at it, it is incredible how diagnostic it is. So you can feel things like what you're actually feeling for is what's going on with the body's energy in that moment in time. So the upper part, so that would be the part closest to your hand, is going to tell us what's happening in the chest, so the lungs and the heart. The middle placement is going to be the digestive system, and then the bottom placement is going to be more the reproductive organs and the kidneys and whatnot. So we can get specific with the organs, 
We can get specific with which body fluids, if it's a physical thing, if it's more of an energetic thing that's happening. And then again, we look for sort of what's the rate that's happening. And is there a lot of tension in the pulse or is there just sort of a lot of laxness? Like, do we need to firm up what's going on inside of the person's body? So it tells us a lot, a lot. Yeah. And the thing that's super interesting is like you put the needles in and then you feel the pulse again and then the pulse is different. Yeah, I know. It's so interesting. Yeah. For me, that's how I am able to tell whether or not what I'm attempting to do with the person is actually working because you know, you can have a diagnosis. And again, because we have 3000 years of history, there can be multiple points, multiple perspectives on how to treat that. But without seeing what's actually going on with that energy in the body, how do you know that what you're doing is actually working? So for me, I use it as a feedback tool all the time. And sometimes it even means I don't have a standard of how many needles I put in any in people at one given time. But sometimes literally you can achieve what you want to achieve in two by putting two needles in. And sometimes it takes more than that, you know, and so you can get really specific with the treatment, which, again, I find really beneficial and and it seems to work. So, And a lot of people haven't actually even heard about Chinese medicine and your training is in traditional Chinese medicine. So what does the schooling look like for that and what types of things do you have to learn and how does that differ from Western medicine? Yeah, well, I've never been through Western medicine, so I can't speak to that necessarily directly, but... The schooling, so the schooling that I chose to do was five years. So you need two years post-secondary, you know, a university or a college, and then you apply for Chinese medicine. And the unfortunate thing with my profession right now, at least in British Columbia, where, where we are, it's a bit of a younger profession when it comes to registered healthcare professions. So we, you can do three years, which will give you the designation of acupuncturist. You can do four years, which will give you the designation of being a traditional Chinese medicine practitioner which allows you to do, and therefore you've gone through the acupuncture program and the herbal program. And then you can do the five years, which is what I chose to do, which grants you the title of doctor of Chinese medicine, of course, once you've passed all of your registration exams. So hopefully that will change and it will standardize in the future. I think that's going to have to happen for the profession. But what do we learn? Gosh, so much. And when you come from a Western background, it's like bending your mind. It can really take a while to get used to because We learn all about the organ systems. We learn all about the single herbs and we learn all about the single points, like the acupuncture points along the body. We learn about what the functions of each of the organ systems are. And in Chinese medicine, those are those are physical functions, but they're also physiological functions and emotional functions as well. So you really have to kind of open your mind to the body being more than just this physical, you know, skin bag that we're sort of taught, I think, maybe in the in the Western model, that's they don't take as uh, into account as much of the mental stuff that's going on, right? Yeah, and it's all just in Chinese terms, too. So we learn about qi, and we learn about blood, and we learn about body fluids. So we don't really use words like hormones. Of course, we've had to adapt that into our practice because we live in this modern world. And we learn about yin and we learn about yang and the two sort of cosmic polarities that are existing and that we're always trying to harmonize and balance. And then, so the further on we go, we learn then how do you bring those acupuncture points and how do you bring those herbs into relationship with one another and into relationship with what's going on in the person. So you learn how to identify different patterns that are going on. So of course that we have a, some sort of direction and we know what to treat, but then how do you, yeah, how do you become proficient at applying a certain acupuncture recipe or a certain herbal recipe so that you can actually achieve the desired effect for the person? And that's one of those things that, you know, we learn what we learn from our teachers, but it takes time to, that's an art, 
you know, and that just takes a lot of time and, and really st- st- a lot of studying and a lot of practice on people. So how does that differ from Western? Again, this is just my impression is that Western medicine is very reductionist. So they're always looking at, okay, well, what's the final piece that's going on? So say like in sleep, you know, they're looking at what are the hormones that are affected? Where is the, maybe the melatonin isn't, the the cycle of the circadian rhythm and the melatonin isn't proper. I'm sorry, my language with the Western stuff isn't going to be that great. But, um, you know, they'll kind of look at what's that last step. And, And for us with Chinese medicine, we're looking at, well, okay, well, what's the relationship that's going on? Like, it's not just this final step that's giving rise to the symptom that's undesirable for the patient. What else is going on that's giving rise to that? And so that kind of gets us a little bit into the five elements. So we look at the different relationships between the organ systems and Again, my impression of the Western medicine, and, and I think one of the things that hopefully is is changing with functional medicine becoming a lot more popular is they're starting to really look at what system. So how is the respiratory system connected to the hormonal system? And how is the cardiovascular system connected to the renal system? And I don't, th- I think that part of the thing with specialties is that they don't necessarily take into account those other relationships. Again, I am not an MD, so I don't want to say, give any broad sweeping statements, but I think that that's the benefit of Chinese medicine and why a lot of people seem to really like it. Yeah. And I mean, this is kind of a broad sweeping statement, so I'll make it. (laughs) Um, It seems that, I mean, we definitely need both. Absolutely. It seems like doctors are taught to look for certain symptoms and then prescribe pills to go take instead of treating the lifestyle cause Yes. And that's why I have a lot of interest in lifestyle medicine and the nutrition side of things, because there's an amazing amount of healing that can be done for all these diseases that don't require taking a synthetic pill. Absolutely. And the thing that I thought was really interesting going back to the pulses is that in Chinese medicine, you you went to this elaborate, beautiful description of how you can assess the body. And in Western medicine, it's like we look at the electrical impulses, like I can't remember exactly the QRS complex or whatever. And like what, how many beats per minute is your heart beating? And that seems so simplified compared to what you said. Yeah. Yeah. So I wanted to ask you about the yin and the the yang. Yeah. Because, well, (laughs) it's kind of a funny story, but I used to love, uh, they call it yang, I guess, in the US. So a lot of people do. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So I I would always like wear yin yang necklaces, like in middle Uh school. Like I love the yin yang. I'd like draw the yin yang. Like that was so cool. Yeah. And my aunt like got me in trouble, you know, she's like, you shouldn't be doing that. Like that's pagan or da da da, like something like that. Oh, wow. But I, I knew that the yin, like the yin yang was like different energies and like the balance of dark and light, but that's pretty much all I knew about it. So in Chinese medicine, how does that present itself? Yeah. Great question. It is so foundational, the yin and the yang. Yep. When we talk about balancing out chi in the body, what we're really saying is how can we attempt to balance out the yin chi and the yang chi? So they are in a sacred marriage, basically. And the yin chi, of course, has more of the feel of our our dense sort of tissue and, of course, darkness. So nighttime, winter, what we're in right now, this is very, very yin time, cooling as well. And then the yang is much more functional, fiery, summery, daytime, those things. And those two polarities, of course, you can't have yin without having yang. So they exist and we can see them independently, but really they exist interdependently. And the only time they're separate is actually in death, right? So even our spirit is more yang in nature, right? But that's even our thoughts and our cognitive and all of those things that we can't necessarily see, but we still all know exist. And yeah, so we want to basically harmonize those two aspects. And that really is harmonizing body and mind with Chinese medicine. 
that's why we take into account so much the emotions, you know, a person's experience and how that's showing up physically within the body. So can you give some examples of what those would manifest in? I mean, we can pick a topic because I know there's like a million different ways that it can show up. Mm -hmm. I think people are really familiar with yin yoga. Yeah. I don't know if that's a direction that's helpful to take, but it'd be interesting to just talk about how people can recognize if they're out of balance. Like, oh, I have, like, I, mm. I know myself, there's way too much yang and not nearly enough yin. And that's <laughs> something I'm working on. Yeah. 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 Like all of us in North America. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So a really great way, I think, to recognize that there might be an imbalance is when the yin and the yang aren't as balanced, a few things can happen. One is that you can have a blockage in a sense of yang. So the yang is what actually moves throughout the body. And so there's this natural, spontaneous directional flow in the body. And that's, again, what we're, we're always wanting to make sure is there's an open conduit for that. And when there's not, when we get stagnated, the yang gets blocked and we can, a heat can arise. Now, heat can sort of show up in a few different ways, but one of the ways that it can really show up is we can become really restless. So we constantly need to do things. We can become agitated. Like if you think of, of yang being heat and fire, fire, it generates a process, right? So it creates transformation. And, and that's really great. We need that physiologically in the body so that our body can properly, say, digest and do all the things that it needs to do in those transformations. But when it's in pathology, it'll be that sense of like, you can't necessarily sleep at night, let's say, which is, and sleep at nighttime, of course, are more yin in nature. So it can show up as agitation. Maybe we're restless. Maybe our, we wake up a lot. In our digestive system, perhaps it might show up as, well, it could show up as being acid reflux. It could show up as, as even just kind of like that upward movement. So if the yang gets stuck, it wants to, it'll kind of want to rise up almost. So even like burping and belching, that type of thing. I try not to make broad sweeping statements because those aren't all the only reasons why those symptoms will show up. So just, you know, take this with a grain of salt just to hopefully explain the movements a little bit better. Yeah, restlessness is really a big one when when the yin is maybe in somebody's life is lacking and and that stillness. And it's funny because it shows up like, I don't know where all your listeners are, but in Canada right now, it is frozen and it is <laughs> snowy and it is cold. And it's amazing to watch the restlessness that starts to build in people, you know, because we have this sort of natural inclination to want to hibernate. But then after a while, we're like, no, I can't do it anymore. <laughs> but it's yin time. And so it's, I think that that's the challenge and that sort of emerges, or I see that as the challenge in our Western world anyways, is, is we don't want to be still. You know, we think that we're wasting our time or we think that we need there. There's more that we want to be doing. Or, I mean, I know for myself and I can only imagine that you're you're similar. There's so much that I want to do. So it's hard to sit still because I genuinely love what I do. So there's this forward momentum that I constantly feel. And it's it can be a real challenge to just sit down. But it's important to nourish that yin because once those reserves, those those the yin and, and the yang kind of also relate to our reserves. And, and once that tank is empty, it can be a real challenge as we age, especially to, you know, replenish those stores. It's possible, but it it becomes more challenging for sure. Yeah, that's like a theme that I'm working. My theme for the year is embracing more stillness and and doing less. And I actually recorded a podcast. By the time you guys listen to this, the podcast will have been several months old about burnout and about like just get Matt and I both got to a point where it was just way too much and how important it is to create that space 
and to not feel bad for not being busy every single second and understanding that that space is needed, that rest is needed. Just like in, in sport, like we're training, we're doing like periodization where, but you need the rest days to get stronger and you need rest days for your brain too and your body. Bingo. And that's a great point because what I've really started to embrace, I know in my own life and what I have a conversation with patients about is that exact thing is I think a lot of people are starting to see this because a lot of us are becoming a lot more burnt out, but is, is exactly that how rest is so important because without rest, you can't have action. Like you get to a point and I see this happen all the time, particularly with women. And that could just be because I treat a lot of women where we have done gone, gone, gone hard for years because of career, because of family, because of whatever it might be. And then we literally get to a point where life are, we're so drained that we can't actually take action anymore you know, and then we get, you know, resentful and we get all these different things about it. And it doesn't seem to make sense, but it's because the tank, we really need to be more intentional with replenishing that tank because without the stillness, there is no action. And I know for me, that's really helped me embrace this winter a little bit more, at least. (laughs) (laughs) I'm struggling currently, but you know, and to remember too, because Chinese medicine is such a nature-based medicine, to remember the natural function of nature is to be still in the winter. And then as the sun starts to rise in spring and all the sprouts start to rise up too, it's a natural thing for us to want to just do more. And we've if we've contained our stores, because winter is the period of storage, everything and all of that potential, which is also what the winter is related to, is those stores and those potentials that can actually come forth in a much more balanced way. So I wanted to ask you about meridians because in your office, like, you're like, oh, yeah, I get undressed and get on the table. But then I'm like snooping around, like looking at all the posters. <laughs> and, and there's like the there's like the little doll with like the I don't know how many acupuncture points there are, but many acupuncture yeah. points and meridians. And I'm still not really clear what meridians are. Yeah, great question. They are energetic pathways. And this is where I usually ask patients and other people that I'm speaking with to kind of just broaden your idea of what it can be because it's not actually physical. You know, people often say, oh, they're the nerves, but they're not the nerves. Some of the meridians do run the pathway of some of the nerves, but they are a different, it is a different concept completely, but it is where the chi runs throughout the meridians. And so the meridians connect the internal organs, so our internal world to the external world. So they, they do go everywhere and they cover everything and the meridians connect one to the next, to the next, to the next, to the next. And so we get a very global perspective and they, they run like, tip of the toes, top of the head, and again, internally and externally. But they run, you know, superficially along our skin. They do run into the deep internal organs. And that's how we can also get that perspective that everything that's going on for us can be on a mental, emotional, and physiological level. And so they connect external world in the sense that everything in our environment is also going to affect how we're feeling. You know, so different climates, of course, different odors, different emotions, different tastes, different interactions with people, all of those come into our experience. And depending on how that person interprets that experience, it's going to be nourishing for them or it might be stressful for them. And then if it's stressful, it will disrupt the flow of chi often times. And so the chi running through the meridians can get stuck. So that can show up then, you know, as all sorts of things, right? A lot of times it shows up as physical pain. Along the meridians, the acupuncture points exist at at different places. Um, A lot of them exist from the elbows down to the hands and then the knees down to the feet. There's quite a few in the abdomen and the back as well, and then the head. And and that's how we really access the chi so that if we want to open up how the chi is flowing within the meridian, we can do that through the frequency of an acupuncture point. Yeah. And I mean, I think that 
we can also feel people's energy too. So like, if this sounds a little bit too out there for people, it's like, if you're around somebody and you feel like the negative energy or the positive energy, Mm -hmm. that's, that's my favorite compliment people give me is like, Oh, I feel your positive energy. Like it's it's like, yes. But like, we all feel energy about people. So if you can think about that in terms of, I don't know if it's the same, but like energy in your body, like you can't measure it. You can't, you can't pinpoint it, but it's something that's there. Yeah, exactly. And that's sort of one of the things with trying to define chi even like we define it as vital energy for the sake of conversation and to make it easy. And of course that's important so that we can develop concepts and we can communicate these ideas to to people. But really, I mean, my personal favorite definition is that it's the pulsation of the universe. So it really is that thing that is intangible, but without a doubt, no matter who you are in the world, we all have some experience of, of that chi in one way or another, whether you believe in spirit or not, what is it that actually makes you function? And I know we can break that down into science and physiological, the way that f- the physiology is moving, but there's something about life, mm-hmm. you know? And again, sure. I mean, I don't know what to say beyond that, really, but yeah, but there's that thing and that's what the chi is, really. And I also wanted to ask about psychology because <laughs> psychology is a lot about, I mean, there's psychiatry, which you're treating, you know, disorders with drugs, but then there's also the psychology side of things. And that's a big part of the show is mindset and learning how to interpret your world in a different way. And I just kind of thought of this question right now. So like, how does that overlap with meridians and chi and all those things? I love this question (laughs) (laughs) because I'm very interested in psychology and the way that it it I bring it into practice anyways is through the elements, through the five elements, which again, like yin and yang, are one of our foundational theories. And the cool thing with the meridians is that if, so I'll give an example maybe of wood. The wood element relates to the organs of the liver and the gallbladder, relates to the color green. It relates to the springtime. So if you think about, you know, a tree growing up and when does that sprout happen? Of course, it happens when the sun starts to go up and spring happens. And it also relates to the the energetic pulse of it from a mental, emotional perspective and a behavioral perspective is that it wants to move forward. So it does so in such a manner where it, of course, grows up towards the sun. Now, when this shows up as a, in, a, in a person, and I should say this, that Chinese medicine was really born out of observation of, of the external nature that we live in, and then applying those concepts to ourselves. So when a, when a Wood person, a person who has, say, wood constitutionally is stifled in their growth because all wood wants to do is it wants to grow up towards heaven. That person has a tendency then to get frustrated and irritated. So they can meet blocks with frustration and irritation. Now, somebody who has a healthy, harmonious wood element will find creative ways around those obstacles and will continue that growth forward. I mean, this might sound really simplistic, but honestly, this shows up in people all the time. And it's amazing to see when you start to connect that physiology and those those behaviors for people, light bulbs go off all the freaking time. So that's just one of the elements. The other elements, you know, one will be more expressed in how we relate to people and how we love in intimate relationships. One will be our, our relationship to sort of death and the death cycle and grief and letting go one is how we relate to our potential and, and taking risks and how we experience fear in the world. So I look at it very much through that lens. Those are kind of my archetypes that I work with. And then again, it sort of filters into um, all the other stuff that's going on for the person. So, okay. So we have meridians, chi, and the elements. Yep. <laughs> and somebody comes in and they have 
like you don't have to go in and have like a physical thing like my knee hurts or like I can't poop or like totally <laughs> whatever <laughs> like you could come in like I came in saying like I am burnt out I need help how would you assess using like so let's use that as an example how would you yeah. take a look and say okay I'm going to look at all these different elements I'm going to look at the chi I'm going to look at the meridians how do you start there to assess that person yeah so I actually I just let the person emerge I don't have any kind of protocol that I fit them into. That's why I sit down and I ask all those questions because you can hear. So there are different colors, sounds, odors, and emotions that are related to each of the elements. The odors is a little bit elusive, I think, because we have perfumes and all that all the time. Plus, I'm not a great smeller, to be honest. Are you like sniffing them? Yeah. (laughs) That would kind of be awkward, too, in a clinical setting, right? Yeah. (laughs) But there are those other things. Again, the color and the emotion are really the ones that make themselves quite known. And so you can just hear and how people, uh, sorry, and sound as well, you can hear in the sound of somebody's voice. So I don't know if you can hear it in mine. I can get a little bit high pitched sometimes, especially when I get excited. I'm, I'm a fire constitution and that's sort of one of the, the telltale signs and the laughing and that kind of thing. But you can hear in somebody's voice if they're very weepy. Marilyn Monroe has a very classic metal voice, which is a very weepy, breathy kind of voice. And the metal elements, of course, related to the lungs and the large intestine. So it's it's more those things. I really let the impression of the person come to me and I just sort of take note. I don't take anything as a as a hard fast rule. I just I'm like, "Oh, that's interesting. That sounds, you know, very weepy or maybe they come in and they've just gone through a huge period of, you know, multiple people dying in their lives." And it doesn't mean that they're a metal constitution necessarily, but that certainly is what is emerging, right? Is that element and then you know, so we do that. And then, of course, I do ask about their digestion. I ask about their sleep. I ask about all the circadian rhythms and, and their menstruation. I ask about their sex drive, all those kinds of things. And I, again, see how they relate to it. That's a really big thing is how are they relating to what's going on in their life? Because that will tell you if there's an imbalance for sure. And then what is actually physically happening, like symptomatically as well. And so you kind of, you know, I kind of put all of those things together And usually, because I do quite an extensive intake and I talk to the person for at least an hour in the very beginning, by the end of that hour, I have a, and then of course doing the pulse and the tongue, I have a pretty good idea as to what their constitutional factor will be. And that sort of means almost like their original imbalance. Mm -hmm. I, I don't always like using those words because I don't, I don't want to create this idea that we're always imbalanced. I mean, life is always a work in progress, but, um, you know, you can work on those things. You can cultivate the virtues of that element so that you can have more balance in your life. But then also, again, because we're looking at what are the relationships going on with the organ systems and the elements. So, okay, we know what their constitution is. So maybe this is is kind of like the root of stuff that's going on, but what else is giving rise? So maybe because this is weak, this element is weak, it's not able to say support the wood element. So they're showing up as being really angry. They have a lot of PMS. They have a lot of headaches. Let's say they can't move their neck, whatever it might be that kind of fits into that category of symptoms and yeah. And so the the great thing with the herbs and with the acupuncture is that we are able to treat multiple patterns that might be emerging for the person. Yeah, and the thing that I like about this, and it's something I've put a lot of thought into is like mentally, you could feel pretty good. Like you could have a positive outlook. You can still be feeling pretty calm. And like for me, I'll just keep using myself in as, yeah. as an example. Like I didn't feel crazy stressed out. I didn't feel Mm -hmm. like my life was like so out of balance, but it kept showing up in my body. Yeah. Like last year, it's like I was sick every other month. Like just all these things kept happening in my body. But in my mind, I'm like, well, what's the big deal? Like I'm fine. Yeah. 
And I think that's a really interesting thing just in your body because just because your mind says, oh yeah, everything's all good. It yeah. doesn't, it still manifests in your body somehow. Exactly. Bingo. Yeah. And I think what's hard for people to sort of let go of is really getting that there's no separation and difference between what's going on mentally and emotionally and then physically in the body. And if there is that disconnect, that will be a real indication as to maybe how much disharmony is actually going on, you know, because it's easy for us to get in our heads. Like I was saying, it's it's so easy for me to be inspired to want to do something and I want to do it. But then my body's like, uh, no, just sit on the couch and watch a movie because you're exhausted. But, you know, you can kind of get that disconnect. And I think that's what Chinese medicine really tries to do is to harmonize the body and the mind so that we can actually tune in enough to be like, okay, what's actually best for me right now? Like, do I really need to be moving forward in that, in that thing, you know, whether it's a race or maybe it's a course or whatever it might be, or do I actually, what's, what's best for me as a whole? Mm -hmm. And I want to ask how the needles work because it's like, I'm kind of like a skeptic, right? Yeah. And I love whenever I go into a situation, I'm super open-minded about things, but I'm always like, well, I'm questioning it. How does that work? And like, da da yeah. da. So it's like, you go in and this is just like a skeptic's perspective of yeah. going to get acupuncture. It's like, yeah. you know, and they feel like your pulse. They're like, okay. And then you lay down and they just like start sticking needles in you. And you're like, what are these needles even doing? And how does yeah. this even work? So yeah. like, how, how does that work with the needles? Yeah, it's a really good question. And unfortunately, not one that science has really been able to answer. So I can't give you a scientific explanation. But essentially, the needles, the ones I use are stainless steel, but you can also use silver and gold. Uh, Ooh, depending, I know, <laughs> but depending on whether or not you want to reduce some symptoms or the, the way the energy is moving, or if you want to tonify, so you want to nourish. I just use stainless steel, quite honestly, because it's easier and I've just never kind of gone down that path, even though I think it's interesting. But they're basically, they act as conductors. So when you stick a needle into an acupuncture point, you're connecting with the energy of that point. So there were some studies done in Japan, and I believe it was the 50s. And they weren't even trying to discover acupuncture points or meridians. But what ended up happening, and I can't remember what the tool was that they used along the skin, Somebody had an injury and they were tracing the skin and what they what noticed they noticed on their machine that they were registering was that there was a different frequency that was showing up that just happened to be at the same points of the kidney meridian and points along the kidney the points along the kidney meridian sorry so of course they you know look further into this and what they did find is that each acupuncture point actually has a different frequency. So the way I like to explain this to people is that a different fre a frequency is just a message. So that different frequency is going to send a specific type of message to some aspect of your body. So if the kidneys are out of balance, let's say you're having some hormonal issues. Actually, I'll use a different example because that might be more of a Chinese idea. Let's say you're even having some issues with uh, urination. If I want to work on the water pathology as it relates to the kidneys, I'm going to be able to get really specific and pick a specific point that's going to affect the water pathology piece of the kidney meridian. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, that's kind of, that's basically what the needles do is they kind of, they conduct that information and that frequency, and they'll be able to then connect into what aspect of the internal organ system and the internal physiology you want to, you're, you're trying to affect. Yeah. And then when you put the needle in, like sometimes... Yeah, like it hurts because it feels it's almost like like I also do dry needling with my physio and mm -hmm. I know this is this is different it's not the same thing. Yeah. But when you put a needle into a muscle, like you can feel that there's some resistance there and that's also the energy being blocked, right? 
Yeah, I can't speak to IMS. I do. I, I've never been trained in it, so I don't want to speak to it at all. But I've definitely put a needle into a trigger point and uh, <laughs> <laughs> and a knot, and it's definitely much more dense in there. But absolutely, putting needles into acupuncture points feels different depending on what's going on for a person, without question. And at this point in my practice, I if I needle slowly enough. I can really tell at what point the body wants me to stop. And that might sound really out there, but it's amazing to see what happens because I'll be going slowly into this point and I'll start to feel something and it feels different for everybody. So I I can't say, oh, it feels dense or it feels whatever. Sometimes it does. Sometimes it it just feels differently. I think uh, at this point, some of it's quite intuitive as well, but I'll also be paying attention to what's going on with the person. So I'll watch their facial response, you know, and, and at that moment that I reach that point, nine times out of 10, they'll have some sort of facial expression, which will let me know, okay, yeah, something, something happened here. Sometimes you can actually, it's almost like you can just see the, the conduction of the chi going down the meridian and the, it will jump or it will do whatever, but it can be quite nuanced, but it's, uh, yeah, that's what I do anyway. So I want to talk about the experience of being somebody who's had acupuncture because I'm quite in tune with my body. And Ah. the first couple of times I was like, this is very weird. And I've also had it happen in meditation. So Mm. what's happened sometimes is, okay, so you're laying there, the needles go in, the lights go out, or you can elect to have the lights on if you want, but the lights turn off. And it feels like, I don't know how to explain this without sounding crazy, but... (laughs) Like usually for me, it feels like the upper part of my body is turning in a clockwise circle and the mm. lower part of my body is moving in a counterclockwise circle. Mm. And and there's just like these circles that are turning and it almost feels like I don't have a body anymore. And I start feeling like a little bit freaked out, like, okay, I don't, I don't feel my legs. I just feel like the stuff moving around. Yeah. And I just had to say, say to myself, like the first time it happened, like, I just got to stick with this and I just got to see what happens. Like, it's fine. I can, I can open my eyes. I can turn on the light, like, but I'm just going to experiment here. And then at a certain point it just stopped. And then I fell asleep. Right. And that happens a lot. Like almost every time I've come into acupuncture, I felt that. And also with meditation, sometimes if I'm sitting there, sometimes I get into a state where it feels like the upper part of my body is like growing up, 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 and the lower part is sinking and I have no body anymore. And those are the two experiences that I can link together. And I think that, I, I don't know, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but if it feels like that's the movement of energy and then the energy settling. I would say 100%. Yeah, that's incredible. I probably don't have, to be honest with you, a great explanation for that. But I I do know that that is actually a a common experience, not necessarily maybe the way you've experienced it, but to be able to feel the energy. And I'm always curious about that in meditation, because I've actually had that too. For me, it's always that I feel like I'm on my side, but I'm totally sitting up. It's like (laughs) such a bizarre feeling, but it's the same thing where you're like, just it's it's cool. You know, you're still sitting on the cushion. It's okay. So I would be curious to hear more from someone who's a very avid meditator about sort of what that esoteric experience is. From a Chinese medicine perspective, again, I haven't looked into it too deeply to hear sort of what some of those esoteric explanations might be, but we inherently trust that the body is our friend and that it knows what to do. Without a doubt, it's energy moving and it's being activated by the entire experience of being being with the needles, of course, being with yourself in, in that space and time and, and probably being in a bit of a meditative state as well. So, and yeah, I mean, it's just, it's the body's doing what it needs to do. And 
you know, sometimes personally as a practitioner, I struggle with like part of what I love about Chinese medicine is that there's no way I have all the answers. And then part of what I struggle about is, but you're supposed to have some of the answers, you know, <laughs> I don't know. I have some of them, but it, like in this case, what's going on there, it's a giant mystery. Yeah. You know, we do know that we're activating the energy center somehow, but to what degree your body's going to take that on? I mean, that's part of the beautiful mystery of just, I think, life in general, you know, and, and so to be able to feel that and experience that is, I think, really cool. And I want to ask about in China, like how much, I don't know if you know this, but like how much do they, like if somebody in China gets sick and they go to the doctor, like is the doctor a Chinese medicine doctor? Is the doctor like a quote Western, like MD? Like what is their process over there? Yeah, I know there, I mean, I haven't been to China for over 10 years, so what I do know is that they still have integrated hospitals where they have Chinese medicine and they have Western. China is moving, unfortunately, more towards the West in terms of medicine. And after, well, during the revolution is when a lot of that happened, like in the 50s with Mao, where they really sought to standardize Chinese medicine and make it much more Western and sort of that more reductionist sort of style, which does a great disservice to the medicine, ultimately. Not that, it, that it's all bad, but it doesn't really capture the essence of Chinese medicine. So my understanding is that it's, it's more westernized. And so when you go into China, so the, the hospital that I was in where I did my um, fourth year practicum, the acupuncture, first of all, is about 15% of it. And herbs are a much bigger portion of it. And they have herbal dispensaries, which is really cool because the doctor writes their script and then they send it down to the to the pharmacy. The pharmacy brews it all up into the tea and gives you these baggies and you go home with it. Your baggie. That was really, yeah, <laughs> it was really cool to watch. But the acupuncture is so different from how it is in the West. Because, you know, you come here, you go into the room, you get a warmed bed, you get the heat yeah. lamp, it's all, there's yeah. music, you can have this Fancy. whole experience. Totally. Yeah. But there people are sitting, you know, lined up like 10, 20, sometimes 50 people in chairs in the hospital wards just and the doctor just comes by barely even talks to them and just gives them acupuncture gives them acupuncture acupuncture so it's a lot of you know musculoskeletal stuff and, and pain related things they the internal stuff they deal more with herbs there for sure so i don't know to be honest with you what portion of people would still seek out the chinese medicine as opposed to the western i have a feeling it also would have to do with money like what is paid for so i know like surgery is it's so much cheaper to get acupuncture anesthesia. So a lot of people over there will still do that. And it's, I didn't know that that even existed. Yeah, how crazy, hey? Yeah, yeah I, I don't know a lot about it. And of course it doesn't happen over here, but it's very, very popular over there because I think it's a difference of like thousands of dollars. So if you don't have a lot of money, of course you're going to opt for that. So I, I think that there is a, um, a big financial consideration when it comes to that kind of thing as well. So again, like the, the hospital I was in was definitely integrated, but the Western medicine seemed to have a lot more money like they had fancier hospitals and machines and all that kind of stuff so yeah it's changing that'd be a really interesting thing like even i mean sadly we won't be alive 100 years from now but yeah. like to see how the western world over more time has infiltrated the eastern world because i think that there is something that's really important about maintaining a culture yeah. i think japan um japan is getting westernized as well but i was just there last year and it seemed like Tradition was really an important part of their culture. And I really like that. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I, I, I don't know a ton about the Chinese culture. I'm probably a pretty crappy Chinese medicine practitioner in that realm. <laughs> I have friends who are way more into it and I admire them for it. I mean, I don't even do Qigong. 
but I probably should. Anyway, but I agree with you. I think maintaining that part of the culture is, is it's just so important. And because I've, I've studied it from the medical perspective, it, there's just so much beauty in the rituals and the traditions and the cultivation of the herbs and all of that, that I don't know, it just doesn't feel the same in the West. And, and not that I'm trying to say that that's bad or anything like that, because I agree with you that there's a place for both of them. Absolutely. But it's sacred and it's beautiful. So I want to ask about the, it's hard for me to say, I say herbs, like some yeah. Americans, the herbs, <laughs> the herbs <laughs> and the essential oils. I've mm-hmm. done just, I've been getting more and more into the essential oils. And again, that's another little like mystery, like woo woo thing, but I, I, I'll do it and then it kind of works. So I'm like, okay, well, whatever. It doesn't matter if yeah. I can't explain it. Yeah. Cause you did mention like there's odors and other mm. and, and colors and all those different things. So like, how do yeah. you integrate essential oils into Chinese medicine? And also, I guess this is a two part question because the herb, the herbs is a, a totally other part, but yeah. 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 And not a lot of practitioners to my knowledge actually use oils. It's mostly mm. herbs. That's, that's okay. what we're taught. We're not taught any oils. That's been mm. all kind of my own uh, there are some people, some practitioners using it. And so that's who I'm sort of learning with and, and collaborating with. But the whole idea of any kind of plant medicine, whether that's an essential oil or a herbal medicine, is based on the energetics of the plant. So that can be a thermal nature, so cold, cool, neutral, warm, hot, and then a flavor and or an aroma. So we have bitter, spicy, uh, pungent, bland, sweet. Did I miss one? I don't Sour. Sorry. Oh. Sour as well. Anyway. And so that whatever the the flavor of that herb or that oil is, that's going to dictate for us, it's almost like knowing the chemotype in, in Western aromatherapy, that's going to dictate what the function is going to be in the body. So with the aromas, of course, it's, it's basically the same principle. Of course, you're not ingesting a lot of the essential oils. So, and it's a much newer, it's been used and there is some history of it like way back when, but it's a much newer form of, of using medicine. So basically like that. So when we have a diagnosis and we've gone through like the whole pulse thing that we just spoke about, we'll be able to, especially with the herbs. I mean, the, the herbal pharmacopoeia is unlike, I think any other Wait, what's that in word? the world. Her- herbal pharmacopoeia. <laughs> <laughs> so that's basically like all the herbs that we would use, yeah. which is just so numerous and it's impossible to know them all. Like most, most doctors end up just sort of having their kind of handful of ones that they know really well and then modifications for that. So of course we can meet each, each patient's needs. So once you have the diagnosis, you and the pattern of what's what's maybe in disharmony or where something's not being processed, then you can start to look at what herb categories or which herbal formulas or whatever it might be will actually help to resolve that issue. With the oils for me personally, I'm using it a lot for mental emotional stuff. There's quite a bit of science on oils at this point. I think probably more than than there is herbs, Chinese herbs, although it's really hard to you can't study Chinese medicine. You can't study essential oils from a Chinese medicine perspective or herbs from a Chinese medicine perspective in the scientific method. It's just not possible because it's just not how we see them. So, you know, grain of salt with that stuff. But for me, I use the oils mostly for mental emotional purposes. And again, kind of relating how, how do they relate to the elements rather? Mm-hmm. And what are they going to do? What kind of effect are we going to create? Are we going to create some openness in, in that that realm so that perhaps they have a psychological experience because of course oils, like if you smell something, it can have an immediate psychological shift for the person. So oftentimes even just in treatment, I'll use it for that, you know, to, to whatever it is that we've talked about, we can 
harmonize their experience through the essential oil and through smelling and that kind of thing. And, and it oftentimes helps people calm down and whatnot as well. So, yeah. And for me, my biggest issue with essential oils is like the purity standpoint. Yeah. Everybody claims mine is pure. And then it yep. seems like the multi level marketing companies are the ones that claim to be the most pure. Yeah. And that just bugs me. Yeah. So like, I, I wish that there was a way like around that. And I've, no. I've had to just say, you know what, I'm just going to like use different kinds, different brands, and yep. just see what works for me. Yep. But it's like, it seems like the multi-level marketing brands charge way more and then claim that theirs are way more pure, which they very well may be. It's just so hard to know. I know. I totally agree with you. I've actually just started experimenting with a couple other companies. One of them is, is Canadian. Neither one are multi-level marketing. I do like the multi-level marketing ones. They they seem to have effect, really good effect and mm -hmm. all of that. But I agree with you. I'm like, well, there there must be other places to resource these as yeah, well. It's just like the skeptic being like, no, like yeah. it can't only be the multi-level marketing ones that are good. Like why? I agree. <laughs> and so, you know, what I look for is, okay, well, how are they cultivating their oils? What's the process? When are they cultivating their oils? Because when you cultivate a plant, so when you harvest a plant, that really matters in terms of when it is going to be the most potent. So an example of this is there's a, there's a herb called futsa in Chinese medicine. And it's, it's this very, it's known to be this very hot herb and it is all of the futsa is harvested on the summer solstice when the sun is highest in the year. There are even, I mean, this is a thing even just in like Western aromatherapy in terms of when they cultivate too. So this isn't just a Chinese principle, but, but those, there's that overlap. So that's definitely something to look at is when are they harvesting? How are they harvesting? And for me, I also, uh, most of these plants, like you don't get these in North America, a lot of the oils that are really common. So how, what's the relationship also like with the places that these oils are being cultivated or these herbs are being cultivated? Because that I think is really important as well, you know? So, and then purity tests. The purity test is a little, I mean, it's not a registered thing. So, you know, I think all the essential oil companies, it seems have been kind of band together and created that certified Food grade, I can't remember, CGPT or something. Yeah, I'm not sure. I, I don't know. There's probably a bunch of essential oil people out there screaming at the, at the podcast <laughs> right now. But anyway, but you know, I mean, again, grain of salt with that because that has been created amongst the companies themselves. So I, I do think that there are some companies doing third party testing. So if you can get your hands on any third party testing, that's of course a great way to find out if they're truly pure. You can do like little purity tests even too. And if you put a drop of oil onto your palm, and you rub it, there should be no residue after about 60 seconds. Or even if it's different from, say, canola oil, right, or vegetable oil that you might cook with. So if you put a drop even onto your fabric, it shouldn't leave an oil mark. Mm. So there's those kinds of things. And things that have actually been adultered, those will oftentimes, in my experience, be a little bit more sticky. They might leave more of a mark. So those kinds of things okay, you can look for. Yeah. And then with the Chinese herbs, like... I remember a long time ago, I was having sinus issues and there's this lady and she's like, here, I'm taking these Chinese herbs. And she hands me this bottle and it just has these like weird, like XI, like yeah. whatever. On them. Yeah, she just handed this <laughs> bottle to me and said, take these. And I, I looked at it and I thought, I don't know about this. Yeah, It's intimidating, especially if you're like a questioning type of person yeah. to have somebody hand you something that you don't even know what it is and yeah. then just take it where, you know, you could also argue this with antibiotics. It's like, well, you don't really know what that is either. Like you've just heard of it many, many yeah. times, but like, how can somebody get comfortable with the idea of Chinese herbs? <sighs> I honestly think that you should only take Chinese herbs if you are taking them from somebody who has studied them because 
it's not, we're so symptom-based in the West. So we're so like, oh, you have this, take this. You have this, take this. And that goes for vitamins and supplements all the time as well. But that is not how medicine works. You really have to meet somebody where they're at and you have to meet them through their pattern. And if you don't, can't tell what their pattern is, you have no idea if those herbs are going to work. So I, I can imagine the herbs that she probably gave you. And, and yeah, probably there would be some effect. But what's giving rise to the sinuses being blocked? That's what you really want to treat, right? You could symptom treat and do that and take those herbs. And they again, they probably really would work. But if you really actually want to take care of what's going on in terms of the phlegm, then you need the other things in the mixture to be addressing that as well. So how does somebody get comfortable? It's, it's a, that's a very challenging question yes. to answer, in my yeah. opinion, just simply because I do not believe in just treating symptoms. And again, it's one of those things where, where we try to take something from the East, but we're so trained in our Western mind to be like, well, this will treat this symptom. You know, I had insomnia and I took this. Well, guess what? There's like five different patterns that can give rise to insomnia. Mm -hmm. So if, if you're taking, if it worked for you, it's because it addressed your pattern, but you can't give that, nor should you be recommending that to somebody else for their insomnia because they could have a completely different pattern. And herbs are quite powerful. Like they could really mess a person up. Like they could create a lot of gumminess in the digestive system. They could create diarrhea, like all these other, other sorts of things. So this is for me personally, why I like to, when I talk to the public, I like to talk about essential oils because I think that they're a lot more relatable to people. People have, everybody has them in their house. They're a lot more understandable and you don't necessarily need to use as many oils as you would herbs. And you don't really have to understand oils in the same way that you have to understand Chinese herbs. So yeah, my recommendation to people would be just go to a doctor. <laughs> I, think, I think that's a really great answer because yeah, like, because it's just an herb. You're like, well, it's just an herb. I'll just take whatever my friend's taking. Yeah. And you just forget that, like, this is potent stuff. And you're putting <sighs> this into your body and your body's interacting with it. Uh. And just in general with pills that we swallow, I think that, I think it's easy to just, like, forget about that. Like, even, like, different yeah. types of vitamins. Like, there's different levels of, of vitamins that are better quality than others. And it's like, Absolutely. you're putting this in your body and it's interacting with your body. And it could help you or it could really hurt you too. Absolutely. And even if something's natural, it could really hurt you a hundred percent. And I think it's really important to respect medicine, you know, to respect the plants, to respect Western medicine, to respect Chinese medicine and to exactly that, like respect that these plants, they're not just here for us to use and abuse however we want that we are in relationship with our environment. And the more that we can actually get into a respectful relationship with our environment, the more we can start to actually tune in and, and, and really understand how these have a potent effect on us, you know? But that exact, I believe that that is an exact mirror of how disconnected we are from nature, from the environment, you know, or even maybe possibly our own nature is we just want to like keep slapping things at these symptoms, but it's just not helpful. And you have a, an online course that you just launched and mm -hmm. um, people can sign up and just, it doesn't have like a set yes. start date. It's just, you just sign up and you just start doing it. So can you talk more about your course? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So it's six modules. It's intended at being six weeks. You have access to the content as soon as you sign up. So you can do it at whatever pace you want, but I do recommend it definitely being a six week thing because you want to really take some time to reflect and absorb on the element that we've talked about. So the first week we go into the introduction of what is Chinese medicine, what is what are the plants? We talk about one of the oils and then we get more detailed into the elements kind of like what we were, we've been talking about in terms of how that relates to us physiologically and physically and mentally emotionally. And my intention for the course is to I just think this is such a beautiful medicine 
and it is so nature-based. And I really think that in our somewhat insane world, it can, it's, there's a bit of sanity here, you know, like how do we live more in tune with ourselves and with our nature and with our environment? Because once we start to do that, I just think that we all have a, a much more fulfilling experience of life in general. So talking about the elements, part of what I want, I hope people get out of it is understanding what their constitutional factor is. And so your constitutional factor is going to be sort of like I was saying earlier, almost like that, that sort of initial weakness that you were born with because of some event that occurred and, and how you interpreted it. Because I know from my own life, that has really helped me to see where I go when I'm stressed. So what happens when I'm stressed? My voice gets really high. What happens when I'm stressed? I want to just sort of like hide and escape and detach from other people when that's maybe not necessarily the healthiest response. And so we talk about even like the virtue of the elements and, and what you can do to kind of cultivate more balance in those areas. And, you know, really, again, the intention is to, so the, sorry, there's a couple oils associated with each element as well that I've chosen that can help to just nourish and again, bring balance to each element and help to support in the hopes that, you know, we all, like I said, just kind of get into more relationship with our own bodies and our own lives and start to see who we are when we're stressed, where we go when we stress. And really, ultimately, I think a lot of us, we don't necessarily feel like we always have choice in those responses. But the more you just put one foot in front of the other, the more you really do have choice and you don't feel like a prisoner to your life sometimes, which I know I felt like. So yeah, like healthy ways to to handle stress, like instead of going for alcohol, like saying, okay, well, I'm going to put this oil in my diffuser or yeah. like, I know that this is my tendency. So yeah, this is how I'm going to have more ease in my life in a healthy way. Absolutely. That's exactly it. And again, really, for me, it was just really impactful to see where I went when I was stressed because I just thought, oh, that's just me. That's just my nature. But that was actually a learned behavior based on, that was something that my ego just adapted to keep me safe and to keep me not involved in my own life. And that's like almost my worst fear is to not feel like I'm actually living, you know, my truest life and stuff. So. Awesome. Yeah. Well, where can people sign up for this course? Yeah. I mean, you can find it on my website, which is drpaulawoodward.com. I think it's forward slash courses. You could just go to the website and, and there's a, a navigation menu there. So. Awesome. That's that's going to be in the show notes too for you guys to check out. Yeah. Awesome. Cool. Thank you so much for coming on the show. That was a really like put 3000 years into one hour. <laughs> I think it was awesome. I hope we did it justice. I think, yeah, I think yeah, we did. Yeah. Great questions too. <laughs> All right. Thanks. Awesome. Thanks, Sonia. Dr. Paula is awesome. I hope you guys enjoyed listening to that episode and that you feel comfortable enough to reach out to her if you have any questions. Also check out her course. I think it's really, really interesting and pretty cool that she's doing that. If you are keen on trying acupuncture, I do want to throw out there that there's a lot of different types of acupuncture doctors. I've seen a few different ones, so it might take some time for you to figure out who you jive with the best, but don't give up after one treatment. Definitely check out a bunch of different people in your area. I'm happy to be home for a bit and hit the recharge button. I knew that I was going to have some intentional imbalance for a while with doing Cape Epic, which was an awesome experience. And if you haven't checked out the podcast, I did a solo recap of the entire thing. And then having a short period of time at home to recover from everything and then turning right back around and going to California to Sea Otter, which is a super fun time, but it's really intense. And there's a lot packed into four days. I did two cross country races, a bunch of different things with my sponsors and tried to connect with as many people as I can. So I'm left feeling pretty tired and admittedly burnt out. So trying to listen to my body 
Today was a day where I really felt tired and unmotivated to ride and I felt pressure to train. I felt pressure that I should be working hard and, and pushing and pushing. But I am proud to say that I took some downtime today and I gave myself a break. I didn't ride my bike. And it's funny because a lot of times people are trying to find motivation, which I was trying to find motivation to get going. But in some cases, if you're unmotivated, it might mean that you need to rest. So. I'm hoping that the uh, spunk comes back. I know it will. I think I just need a little bit more downtime. I want to hold myself accountable to you guys because I'm not perfect and I always have things that I'm working on too. So with the burnout, I'm really trying to just stay on top of that. And if I start feeling tired or I start feeling like I want to quit everything, which is a symptom of burnout, I'm trying to take more downtime and try not to have anxiety about it. But Man, I do get anxious when I rest, and I think it's just something that I have to figure out. Thanks so much for listening to the show, you guys. I'm so thankful that you're here. I love you guys and wishing you all the best success in your training and adventures, and we'll see you back here next week. 